It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Matea reminding you that this show cannot be made without you. If you've been thinking about becoming a Canada Land supporter, we're having a pretty great sale right now. You'll get premium ad-free feeds of all Canada Land shows, discounts on merch from our store, and exclusive bonus episodes, like a behind-the-scenes tour of the federal budget lockup, more of Boris Johnson's trip to Canada, and of course, more of us yapping about what's hot in politics right now. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canada Land supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special offer for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. Just go to canadaland.com slash join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. New Democrats will fight so that together we all rise. If he thinks he can threaten Canadians with another election in 18 months, the Conservative Party will be ready. Thank you, Purple Army. It is hard to lose. No one likes to lose. Pourquoi avoir interrompu mon barbecue? You are sending us back to work with a clear mandate. Listeners, it really isn't a clear mandate. <laughs> hey, it's Fatma Sayed, and this is The Backbench, a podcast about Canadian politics. Welcome to the end of Canada's 44th election. It's 2 a.m. in Toronto. We know what your next government will look like, and it's exactly the same as the last one. Today's show is a little different. It's kind of like a whole point of order, so we can make sense of what just happened. And we've got an almost Canada-wide panel to help us. Drew Brown is the editor-in-chief of The Independent in Newfoundland and covered two different elections tonight, so we'll get into it with him. Oh, it's actually closer to four now. Jessica Sanduk, senior consultant at State 905 aficionado, who's actually in Alberta right now for some reason, and co-founder of Boz News. Let's go Elks. <laughs> Eastern Time Warrior with me, Stuart Thompson, our Ottawa rep and editor-in-chief at The Hub, is back. Are you, are you awake? Are you ready? Yeah, I'm in that perfect spot of just like not knowing who I am or where I am. It's going to be great. <laughs> and further west, along where Duskerin is, we have Jason Markusoff from Calgary, who's a contributor at McLean's. I'm counting the hours before I have to drop, uh, run kids to daycare. It's coming soon. Good luck to you. And you thought it was a mantle, but it's not. Lena Manifian, BC, producer and co-founder of Ricochet Media, is joining us. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm uh, happy to be here for Midnight Madness, I think. Let's do it. So we were promised a, quote, pivotal, consequential moment. 
what we got was the exact same as the goddamn parliament we had before. (laughs) At the time of recording, this is the projected seat count. The Liberal Party has 156 seats. Conservatives have 122. NDP has 26. Bloc Québécois has 32. Greens have two. That is exactly the same as 2019. Give one or two seats away. (laughs) We talk a lot about time stopping during the pandemic, but it really did stop in Canada for this election. My goodness, how did we get here? This was an election that no one wanted. When it happened anyways, it was about nothing, despite the fact that the stakes were monumental. Climate policy, pandemic management and recovery, childcare, healthcare, housing, the overdose crisis, indigenous reconciliation, and so much more. A lot happened. A fourth wave of COVID-19 pandemic, Afghanistan's collapse into chaos, bickering over abortion, guns, healthcare, an economic contraction and an inflation spike, and Canada's exclusion from a new partnership on defense and security. Imagine, just for one second, if we just hadn't done this. But instead, we are back at status quo and we have to make sense of it all. To adapt the party slogans, we didn't move forward together, the future is very much not secure, and I'm not sure if better is possible. So how do we interpret these results? Are Canadians paralyzed and exhausted by indecision and the pandemic? So much so that they voted in the same government they had before, or is there an actual path forward here? Who wants to go first? Look, I think if we're going to be using the bell curve model, uh, which is the only way to judge uh, anything, uh, the NDP scored an A-plus today by winning a total of net three new seats, which puts it squarely above everyone else by like two seats, uh, which is me saying in a long-winded way, we have absolutely returned back to where we started. I mean, we're back where we started. We took a funny road to get there. I mean, what would this election have been like if he called it the same day and it was held the same day, um, except the Taliban did not overtake Afghanistan at the start of it, or that Shachi Curl did not ask a specific question uh, during a debate that sent several people in Quebec, especially the leaders, into a pearl-clutching tizzy, if Alberta had a premier who gave a shit about COVID these things would have given us a different result, potentially. And also, I like to think about what, what, so what was settled in this election? You know, people are not incredibly excited by a more moderate conservative party. People are generally content with where they are. We had a pulse check. This is what the pulse said. People decided they like they were happy with what they had or didn't have. And uh, here we are. I, you know, I, I'm still mixed feelings. I have lots of mixed feelings about this election. But I have to say, people ran more diverse voices and and more diverse candidates than I've seen before. Um, I do think that this is the first time we've had like around 70 Indigenous candidates across Canada, which is significant to me, Um, especially for this new generation, because a lot of our older generations uh, weren't into sort of federal politics and voting and and trying to sort of make change in community um, with their vote. So I think that's going to increase over time in the new new generations. Um, I, I mean, even the PPC had apparently four indigenous candidates, which totally trips me out. So I don't understand that. (laughs) But, um, um, I, I think that when it comes, you know, economics and, and, and looking at the, the price tag of this election, uh, that money could have gone, you know, towards way better things like, clean water and implementation for uh, reconciliation, all those promises the Liberals had. So I, I'm still of mixed feelings about, um, you know, 
more more indigenous people participating in this and getting more seats but also it just kind of being the same when it comes to the positions and having the lowest uh, popular vote uh, in our history in Canada. I mean last time I checked um, and again it's 2.36 a.m. in Toronto uh, there were 10 indigenous candidates leading or elected five Métis three First Nations two Inuk which would be the highest amount of indigenous MPs in history yeah which is it is kind of spectacular, and it's one of the few silver linings that came out from tonight. Um, I'm slowly moving my way from West Coast to East Coast. So, Stuart, <laughs> what's your sense of the pulse of the Canadian election as it ends tonight? I think my sort of overwhelming thought at the end of this is that, you know, we ran a live blog that was devoted to policy, and we had kind of hoped that policy or some policy would take off as sort of the like singular issue of the campaign. I kind of had a theory that it would be childcare because that was a big point of differentiation between the parties. It wasn't. Yeah, it just it never really took off. And the liberals tried to make it an issue too. But I think what we've learned is that for most people in Canada, life is completely on hold. Mm. And it still is on hold because of the pandemic. And, you know, this their poll we did a couple of weeks ago just blows my mind and continues to blow my mind, which is that... 32% of Canadians think that the worst is yet to come from the pandemic, and only 20% think that the worst is behind us. 47% of people just don't have any idea. They're just not sure what the future holds. And, you know, the way I feel about the pandemic is kind of similarly, like I'm not going to, you know, buy a house or make any big life decisions right now because it, there's just such an overwhelming feeling of uncertainty from the pandemic. And I, if you look at that, um, when it comes to the election, I think that's kind of what we got. People were voting on just sort of this broad idea of who do we want in charge during this kind of really hard time. Um, and if you still think the worst is yet to come, that's the biggest issue for you. I think maybe that's why there was no singular policy issue. It was that the pandemic still dominates. And the liberals, I think, wanted the issue to be who's going to lead us out of the pandemic. And it, it kind of was that, but they were dragged down by this idea that I think people were a little bit um, disappointed. And I think they thought it was very unserious to call an election right as we're getting into this fourth wave. So uh, although the ballot question was probably what the liberals wanted, um, they weren't they weren't quite the like, selection that they hope they would be for Canadians. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that is sort of broadly correct. Like, um, like the, the pandemic and the outbreak of the fourth wave was always kind of like the check off the gun of this election, right? Like when the liberals called the election back in August, as cases were rising, it was kind of like, I don't know, maybe this is just like post-traumatic stress disorder <laughs> from the Newfoundland Labrador provincial election where like, like right before voting day, we had a massive COVID outbreak that that fucked everything up. Um, so I was kind of wondering, like, is something similar going to start happening in, in the federal election? And it kind of did. Like, there were a lot of various points over the course of the last 36 days where, like, the outcome could have been very different. Like, Jason kind of alluded to, like, um, there was one point where, like, polls were showing sort of like a runaway conservative momentum thing. And, you know, like, there were other moments where it was, like, maybe looking like the bloc might sweep Quebec in this kind of, like, weird, like, revanchist feeling because we were all upset about, like, the Anglos asked us uncomfortable questions of, of Blanchette. Um, but then suddenly, like, 
towards the end of it, you have your Chekhov's gun goes off, right? You have the the this this horrible pandemic uh, situation in Alberta that kind of like refocuses everything on. And like, right, the pandemic is still happening; it's still an extremely serious issue. And yeah, if comparing the two parties who are likely to form government. The, the liberals have a better case to make than, you know, like the party that's kind of allied with like Jason Kenney's nightmare government. So I think, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like a like a classic like hero's journey almost where like we set out and a whole bunch of fucked up stuff happened and then we came back to roughly exactly the same thing that we had when we started. Although maybe we've, you know, made some new friends and learned some lessons <laughs> along the way. Did we? But Did also, we make any I, new yeah. friends? I feel like we made new enemies, not really new friends. <laughs> no, that might be, uh, that's a very generous interpretation. But listen, you talked about things that were fucked up during this election campaign. Uh, Jason... There are rumblings in Alberta, you know, about the people of Alberta being unhappy with Jason Kenney's handling of the pandemic that might spill over to the federal election and hurt the conservative campaign and Aaron O'Toole. With most of the province projected as blue, as we're recording, were the pundits and the experts wrong? No. (laughs) It's table stakes that most of Alberta is blue. I mean, there were only... A few seats that anybody was really anybody seriously really talking about changing hands in the center of Edmonton, in the center of Calgary, and lo and behold, the Blue Fortress was it 34, 30, 34 seats in Alberta, thirty three were conservative before. Now it's they may have lost three seats, um, which mm-hmm. is you know Edmonton Center, Edmonton, Edmonton Center, Edmonton, Edmonton Greensboro, which is a who speaking of a, a new candidates is a really dynamic awesome uh, 27-year-old Métis fellow, uh, Blake Desjardins, who I think is going to become one of the new uh, young vanguards of the interesting uh, NDP. And Calgary Skyview, we're going to probably have a minister in uh, Calgary, uh, George Chahal, a a one-term city councillor. You know, the upset with Kenny and the disillusionment with O'Toole is probably offset by the fact that Justin Trudeau is a Trudeau. And that name, st- and that name, and the frustration with the liberals and the hard done byness <laughs> sense that conservatives, fe- that Albertans feel, still keep them conservative. You know, there was some grumbling that uh, this Maverick Party, this quasi separatist party, was going to have a big show. It seems the People's Party ate their entire lunch here. We also talk about the test for a second, because I think People's Party is a fascination for a lot for a lot of us. How disturbingly anti science, anti immigrant, and gross they generally were. They got 5%, which is five times better than they got last time. But it's also not this 10%, this big critical mass that they some of the polls are suggesting they would get. And they weren't competitive in a single seat. Um, so they're not going to be a force anywhere near Parliament. Uh, I mean, for crying out loud, Maxime Bernier uh, didn't even bother spending the cam- any of the campaign in his own seat uh, in Beauce, Quebec. He finished a distant second there, and he went to Saskatoon. Why? Uh, in part because he's trying to do well in the West, and secondly, because you can have a big massless party at a ballroom, apparently, and, and get away with it in Saskatoon still, and you can't in Quebec. Um, but those guys are now a protest street movement and not a real um, political force that's grabbing more than 5% of the popular vote. And um, we got clarity about that this election. I want to quote friend of the show, Emmett McFarlane, a professor, a political science professor at the University of Ottawa, who who tweeted that if Canada had New Zealand's Uh, electoral system, with 5% of party vote, there might be six or seven People's Party MPs heading to Parliament uh, in this election, which uh, uh, is kind of like a terrifying thought. Yeah, I think um, if you look at the the broader numbers from Alberta, 
the conservatives went down. These are rough numbers, sort of projected. I think I picked them up at like 1 a.m. Um, the conservatives are down 13.5%. Um, the NDP is up 7.2%. And the People's Party is up 5.3%. And that, it just kind of shows you what is happening in Alberta right now, where Jason Kenney is provincial government is having his lunch eaten by both sides because mm-hmm. he just can't please anyone. Um, every measure he brings in is unpopular with the right flank of his party and everything he does is not enough. Um, whenever he brings in those measures, it's not enough for the urban parts of the province. Um, and that I think is what we've seen with the People's Party. I The thing that I wonder about them is how much of this is a um, temporary phenomenon brought on by the restrictions because that's where all of the energy from this party was coming from was the pandemic and people's anger. Um, one of our polls showed that 70% of people voting PPC described themselves as very angry. Um, that probably shouldn't surprise us, but it's still a crazy number to find in a poll because People just don't normally describe themselves as very angry. They normally say like somewhat angry. And then you have like 6% (laughs) as very angry. Um, So that is something I think we have to reckon with. It's probably in the end going to be about 800,000 people who voted for the PPC. They have no representation where do they go? Well, the anger isn't just limited to PPC voters, though. I think uh, Canadians across the country are pretty angry right now, not just uh, for going through what seems to be a very pointless election, but also because nothing's being done on any of the issues that need to be tackled. Um, Lena, I'm wondering if, if, if you're seeing that in BC and how is that, because BC is still counting votes uh, as we're recording. So are you seeing that anger shift anything in BC at all? I mean, um, I was looking at um, a lot of the writing, so I'm coming to you from Kamloops. It's a conservative area. It's definitely going to get conservative here. Uh, the party where the PPC was kind of being more vocal was Caribou Prince George, and um, they got 4,000 votes there, but definitely the conservative Todd Doherty is kind of uh, leading there. I I feel like the anger is sort of this, um, you know, like the, it's a, it is a, a vocal minority to the extent of the extremity of the anger. A lot of people are, are angry about the election, but I think we have to remember that these are the outliers and the radicals and the people who are the most mad are also comparatively to, like, the people who are, like, denying genocide and denying that there's racism and denying all these things. So I think that all that goes into that that platform and just because they're the loudest and seem to be the most extreme right now, I, I just don't want to say that everybody is there. I think people are in fear for a lot of different reasons. And I think uh, I was expecting more votes for the fear vote being against Trudeau and against things as opposed to, to for things. And it seems like I was wrong. I think people are voting for who they want to see because it's, it's, the results are kind of showing that. That's really interesting. Drew, you had talked, uh, we had a Twitter space earlier today, and you had talked about how you'd seen some writings in the East Coast flip. Do you think that has to do with this anger that we're all seeing like seeing and, and trying to make sense of across the country? Yeah, I mean, I think um, the writing that that, where that sort of stood out most clear to me was, um, I can't remember the name of it, it's in Nova Scotia, Bernadette Jordan's writing, basically, where she was kind of, I think, caught in the crossfire between the issue over, like, 
the indigenous rights to the lobster fishery there. Um, so you have the, the Mi'kmaq nations on the one hand, and then you also have the sort of like the um, like Acadian white fishers who were sort of like rejecting the idea that there was like special indigenous rights to lobster fishery. And she kind of tried to like thread the needle between both those sides, very unsatisfactory, which I think ultimately is what cost her the seat. That was sort of the major one. The other one that I thought was interesting um, there were two ridings in on the island of Newfoundland, one in central Newfoundland, like my home riding um, where I grew up, um, where uh, I don't know if it's been called yet, but the conservative candidate is like still like edging ahead of the like long term uh, liberal MP there, which I thought was kind of surprising. Um, and in long range mountains on the West Coast, uh, people were sort of predicting that that might be a conservative upset. And I think it came pretty close, except the PPC there, I think, definitely played a spoiler role because they their candidate got roughly as many votes as I think separated the conservative challenger from the liberal incumbent, um, which is super interesting. Um, a friend of mine, we were talking about this sort of like in a DM at the time and you know that's kind of like there's a real sort of like reactionary right-wing like evangelical religious force in in rural newfoundland that nobody really wants to talk about or acknowledge but it's clearly very real and uh may become more influential over time otherwise i mean in, in this province anyway i think uh at the end of the day we all kind of sided with the uh primarily with the liberal government both i think for the child care and also because the 5.2 billion muskrat falls rate mitigation deal kind of hinged on like having a federal liberal government in Ottawa that can kind of shepherd that through for the provincial liberal government here. Um, so that was our provincial government's big gamble, and I think it's mostly paid off, although we'll see how much sway the bloc has in the current parliament, because uh, as far as I understand, they're a little bit less happy about my province getting $5 billion for colossally fucking up a hydro project. Well, they just spent $600 million on an election. I'm sure they have some some money somewhere to spend on things like this, True. right? Presumably. Going back to the angry thing, the if people were really angry, more people would have changed their vote. Not all people in this country changed their vote, um, except mm. for this 5% crust that what didn't exist before that is voting PPC. Um, and my other point about them is that I think there was a, there's a really great piece by Matt Gurney in the line about uh, the risks that um, if the what the PPC was brewing went mainstream. And the risk was that the conservatives would see that whatever big share they had and the way they had vote splits and try to go toward the, uh, you know, move some of their policies toward the PPC in hopes of attracting back some of those radicals and extremists. Um, the fact that they're at 5% is not a lot of uh, votes for the conservatives to chase, as opposed to some of the 30-some people who percent of people who voted for the conserv the liberals, the people who voted for the bloc, people who voted for the NDP who are much larger shares that are probably more attainable than those 5% of really, really angry, twisted people. Well, speaking of things that didn't change for whatever reason, um, of all the leaders uh, <laughs> that were running, Anime Paul didn't get elected. And I'm personally a little disappointed. I would have liked, after watching her debate performance, I would have liked to see her voice in the House of Commons. I think she would have made for some interesting conversations and, and tried to push the needle. But uh, the Green Party got two seats, uh, one in Kitchener Center and Elizabeth May in, in BC. They might get another one in BC, but we, we don't know. Um, how are we feeling about the Green Party after tonight? Anime Paul got 9% of the vote in the riding she spent the entire campaign in. 9% and in fourth place. 
um, if that that speaks a lot to her political skills. Um, and uh, she, it was a terrible idea to start to, to go there in the first place. Um, I don't think she acquitted herself very well, except for parts of the debate. But I, I think that that's the end of her. And I think with the fact that the Greens have to reckon with the fact they're no longer skating alone and taking climate change seriously and taking it as an urgent crisis uh, means that there's a lot of uh, soul searching for this party. I, I was, I'll just say this. I, I don't think the Green Party is ready to uh, lift up women of color, Indigenous leaders in this way, and they have their party completely together. I, you know, there's been a lot of um, them trying to figure out uh, what their mandate, what their policy are, how they stand on things. And uh, I just think they're actually not, um, they're not putting themselves and organizing in a way where they can do this kind of work. Yeah. I mean, my impression is always like the Green Party, it has the sort of like, it's sort of got the drill down on the, on the taking climate change seriously piece. But like outside of that, it's a very incoherent political party, right? Like outside of taking climate change is like their raison d'etre. There's, it's just kind of like a, big like grab bag of all sorts of people with all sorts of other things that they're interested in, um, which is not necessarily a good way to like build a sort of um, focused political movement that like the Green Party really could be. So yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, soul searching is, is definitely right. It's not really clear where the party goes from here. Um, Enemy really needed to win this, to, I think, to like solidify um, her role in the party and, and wherever she was trying to take it. And uh, after tonight, um, yeah, I think the infighting is definitely going to continue. Whatever the Greens are going through, they're not finished. Well, soul-searching is a good word, probably, to describe the state that we're all in. I was also thinking of Maria Monsef, who was a Minister of Women and Gender Equality and Rural Economic Development. She didn't get elected, but Defense Minister Harjit Sajjan got reelected despite being broiled in the fallout from the Canadian Armed Forces um, sexual misconduct scandals. Dominic LeBlanc, most of the cabinet ministers, honestly got reelected. How does Justin Trudeau navigate the House of Commons now? Like, he can't exactly threaten an election anymore when people don't listen, right? Can he work with anyone? Because it seems to me that he's returning to a parliament as a greatly diminished prime minister. And Jessica, let's start with you. Yeah, I think um, the one advantage Trudeau had for the first two years was that everyone felt if an election was called, he would win a majority. Uh, and it's and it's also partly why he called the election, uh, because he felt that as well. Uh, so when we talk about anger, uh, we have to remember that the liberals were polling at a majority level. Uh, and if they lost support, they, they probably lost it due to partly because of that anger. Uh, and where that went is, you know, something we'll, we'll have to break down and analyze. Uh, the more we kind of see the results come in and, and firm up uh, overnight uh, and into the morning and we'll see where the mail-in go. Uh, but Trudeau kind of loses the leverage that he had uh, for the first two years of, of the last minority uh, where he had an upper hand, at least psychologically. Uh, and you walk into this thing, uh, the the question marks are actually, are, are how, are the knives out on Aaron O'Toole? Um, are the knives out on Trudeau himself? Um, you know, there's some chatter around uh, liberal ranks that back-to-back minorities is probably a good sign that Trudeau hit his ceiling. Uh, and this is probably what it's going to be. His brand has taken a considerable beating uh, over the last, you know, two to four years. 
uh, is it time to kind of reshake things up there and, and go for a uh, majority or are the Liberals happy just being perpetual minority governments, uh, which you know may or may not happen? Uh, as far as Aaron O'Toole goes, are the Conservatives going to knife him, uh, as some some have been suggesting? Um, or uh, do they tell themselves, look, he, he did a little better in Quebec. Uh, he did, did a little better in LA to Canada. Uh, he uh, fended off this PPC surge. Uh, I, I use the word surge, um, I guess with quote, air quotations, because uh, this is a podcast. Um, you know, do you give this guy a little slack because he was a leader over what was a global pandemic? Uh, and didn't get the chance to kind of go to the GTA, didn't get a chance to kind of really spend a lot of time in the 905 uh, in a more traditional manner and kind of build inroads there. Uh, and do you give him one more shot at the can or, or you know, do you do what conservatives uh, often do well and just knife each other uh, and, and have things spiral out of control and uh, and talk about the good old days under Harper? Um, and then on, on the other side with uh, Jigmeet Singh, uh, you know, he's... And I, I kind of say this half jokingly, but like at the end of the day, with a net three seat win, he's at at the point of this podcast, he's a top performing leader. Uh, his favorables were high. Uh, his party uh, at the end of the day is the only one who comes out of this a little better than they did coming in. Um, and does he start focusing on the nine hundred five and other places? Uh, and so Justin Trudeau is going to have to look at all this, right? Like the political fallout of this election. Yes, this was the Seinfeld of elections. <laughs> it really didn't mean anything um, other than kind of the political fallout, and that's going to disarm the way Trudeau kind of functions in this new parliament because he learned the hard way that the public actually does care about when elections get called. And this is not going to just be a one, two-day news story. It literally lasted for 35-odd days. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Does anyone else want to jump in about how Trudeau navigates the House of Commons now? Yeah, I can take a stab at that. Um, because I was watching CBC and they said the NDP spent $25 million on this campaign. You could imagine Justin Trudeau going in there and governing however he wants for a year, maybe a year and a half, um, with the NDP just sort of supporting him. And Jagmeet Singh was talking about making the wealth tax his like condition for support in a minority government. I, I just can't imagine that uh, ending up being the case. Um, so it, Trudeau talked a lot about um, being conciliatory and working with the other parties. But, you know, the nature of this minority parliament is that the bloc or the NDP alone can prop him up. And if one of those parties is over a barrel a little bit, um, then he's going to do fine. So I think that's like I, I was actually thinking tonight about, you know, how long does Trudeau last um, in this environment? Uh, he, you know, you just have to remember where they were when he took over the leadership. They were in the absolute gutter. And he still, I think, has some goodwill from that. 
and I, it would take it would take some real gall, I think, for people to start kind of going after him. Um, you know, the only one I could think of around him that might be a threat is Christia Freeland, who has sort of you know risen through the ranks and has accumulated more capital and power uh, with every year that that party's been in government. So, uh, you know, I just don't see her being a Paul Martin type and bring him down. And I I don't know if um, O'Toole will go down the same way Shear did. I remember um, talking to MPs at the time about this when Shear was kind of, you know, knifed. Um, and they all just seemed flabbergasted that it was happening. Like, they seemed genuinely shocked that it was out of their control, which tells you something about that party. And I, I think that they resented that a bunch of sort of consultant types basically brought their leader down. Let, let me tell you that consultant types are, are the worst. Speaking as a consultant, huh? Yeah, sorry about I, that. I, you know, every day I look in the mirror and shout at myself, like, you terrible human being. No, but I, I think you have a Any point. present company or listeners excluded from my terrible slur. <laughs> but the conservatives have, like, 34% of the popular vote. Can we just, can we talk about this? I mean, it it is bigger than the liberals, right? So, I mean, Andrew Scheer was thinking he was going to win. If we had a different electoral system then it would be that way. So, I, I mean, people are still sticking with, I think, who they voted in the last election regardless. But uh, I would like to hear other people's opinion on uh, on that, just about the popular vote. Well, look, I, you know, uh, Justin Trudeau promising on the tail end of this election that he may consider uh, proportional representation or democratic reform again. Although, like, he, he qualified that by like, talking about ranked ballots and how much he liked ranked ballots. But I think it's a sign that uh, this conversation shouldn't go away. Uh, but proportional representation is such a critical part, I think, of democratic reform. Uh, and if we're a democracy and we want people to feel like their vote counts, well, okay, well then let, let's allow it to count. Uh, and if that means, like, 6% of the votes and go, like, the terrible, like, a party that I absolutely hate, yeah, but that also means like the NDP is going to get more representation, right? Like that. That also means that the, the GTA doesn't necessarily like overly dictate, um, uh, you know, the first past the post system and the way that it has, uh, and it, it just it just means that we have a better representation and like your vote actually matters, your voice actually matters, your individual beliefs actually matter, you know, because I I spent so much time. Uh, and this is maybe a little more newer for me uh, than you seasoned journalist. Uh, but I, I spent so much more time like doing media o- over the course of this election and getting to talk to people. Uh, and if there's one thing I can heard over and over and over again, were voters that were saying, you know, I really want to vote X, but I'm going to vote Y because I'm just like forced to vote like strategically. Uh, and, and, and I don't want to vote that way, but I, I'm just going to do it because who cares? Well, that's the thing. It's like a combination of like apathy, frustration and just complete exhaustion, I think, from a voter's perspective. And I know we've had like a very nerdy conversation about political mechanics uh, in this ep- in this episode. But I think that's important because we need to figure out how the next parliament is going to navigate the issues that we've talked about, whether it's affordability, whether it's climate change or reconciliation um, or or housing. And uh, we won't be able to even navigate those issues if parliament can't work together. So um, there will be lots of time to reflect and break down and the backbench will, will keep talking about this. But for now, because it's 3 a.m. in Toronto, <laughs> quick round the table, describe the election in one word. I'll start. <laughs> Uninspiring. Jason? Unsettled. Jaskarin? Fuck. 
He wins. He wins. <laughs> Drew. Pointless. Stuart. Frustrating. Lena. I'm trying to find like the metaphor, but um, yeah, a cardboard. I. <laughs> <laughs> And similarly, describe the future government that's going to be the thing that we're going to be talking about for uh, for the next 18 months in one word. I'll start. Divided. Jason. See, I'm just thinking about the $10 childcare I'm going to get in the future, which is kind of nice. <laughs> Your kids are going to be too old for it, man. It's five years away. Well, uh, little baby steps, literally speaking. Um, <laughs> All right. Drew. Um, pliable. Hmm. Jessgren? Oh, fuck. Oh my god, are you um, Googling words? I'm searching. What are interesting adjectives? <laughs> Lena. Uh, I want to say maintaining. I like it. Stuart? Two years long. It's hyphenated. <laughs> <laughs> Jessgren? I wanted to say Animal Crossing. <laughs> Try to force <laughs> this into the conversation somehow. <laughs> So I'm not done from what I what I was talking about on the spaces. I, I wanted to devote more time to that. Devotion. Hapless. Good word. Jason, you got the last word. Come on. Conti- continuous. Combine those words and you get a sense of what Canada's 45th government is going to look like. Um, it is 3.15 a.m. in Toronto. I don't know what time it is for Drew, but it's very, very late. It is 4.42. (laughs) 4.42 for Drew. Thank you so much for being here. We're going to adjourn on that note. That was your early morning special edition of The Backbench uh, to commemorate the end of this very uninspiring, unhistoric, unconsequential election. The complete opposite of what we were promised. We're very grateful you all listened to us. We want to release some video content as a bonus post-election. So email us your questions. I will respond to it. I'll try and rope the backbenchers to respond to it. Questions, qualifications, rants, anything related to the election or politics at all is fair game. If you have feedback, send that to me. We're at backbench at candleland.com. We're at Twitter, backbenchcast. I'm Fatma Sayed. You can find me on Twitter at Fatma B. Sayed. Jason, where are you? I'm taking my kids to daycare soon. <laughs> Beyond that, he's also on Twitter. You can find him at Markasov. Jessica, and where are you? At Jessica and Sandu underscore, and also at Boz News Org, both on Twitter. Drew, tell the people where to read all the election coverage you did tonight. Well, mostly it's on my Twitter at Drewfinland. But uh, if you're interested in the St. John's Municipal Election of 2021, which is happening next week, you can read all about it at theindependent.ca. Uh, and otherwise, I'm going to go to bed. <laughs> Good luck, friend. Lena, where are you? At Lena Minifi. And Stuart. Yeah, the hub.ca, where our Palsy Pulse live blog is now down. This episode was produced by Tiffany Lamb with additional production by Tristan Capacione. Our managing editor is Kieran Outshorn. Theme music is by Nathan Burley. Oh my God, we made it to the end of this election. We'll see you not next week. We're going to sleep. We'll see you soon. Bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.